0: Welcome to the Hell of a Catholic Podcast. This is Father Josh Allen, the chaplain at the Georgia Tech Catholic Center.
1: This is Anthony Haskin, the pastoral lackey at the Catholic Center.
2: And this is T.J. Capaldi, uh, seminarian for the Archdiocese of Atlanta and Georgia Tech graduate 2014.
0: Home for the summer uh, after uh, finishing his second year. This is his uh, home. uh, This is his home. Archbishop Gregory, I believe, made that very clear. at recently. uh, Recently, T.J. had his candidacy mass. And we've had uh, some discussion about what candidacy means. And I don't know that we've come to any definitive, partial, or even uh, indicative conclusions about what it means. Uh, But during the Mass, uh, Archbishop Gregory made it very clear to your mother (laughs) You belong to us. You now now belong to us, not to Rhode Island. (laughs) I was sitting there thinking, wow. I wonder, he does know that that TJ's mom is sitting right there, right? (laughs) Uh, No, it was very nice, though. It was good. So anyway, we're happy to have you. And today we are going to talk about a story from the Bible, the Tower of Babel, 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 (laughs) however it is that you say it. We actually had a little discussion before the podcast about how do you say this, and then we decided, well, we'll just look it up. And I just gave you the four accepted uh, pronunciations, so we decided we're just going to call it something different every single time we say it. Uh, <laughs> but first, uh, we'll get—I uh, think TJ's got his Bible well. open, <laughs> so he mind. can he can read That's out of it his well. Bible <laughs> about Bobel. Bell. All right. Well, so, uh, give us the. I'll chapter just verse start by.
2: from Genesis chapter eleven, verses. Uh, One through nine. nine. Yeah. Now the whole earth had one language and few words. And as men migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. They, then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth.
0: So, my first question is: Why were you trying to not laugh during that whole story? <laughs> okay. if you were about to lose it the entire time. Yeah. It's about it's not funny, TJ. It's <laughs> about halfway through, I
2: this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is because I do find it kind of humorous. Um, like, what the Lord said. <laughs> the Lord said, you know, the Lord is, is uh, recognizing what they've done, talking about what they might do in the future, and then all of a sudden he says, let us go down and confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. And, and I just think that's, a, my, at least my understanding of God, this is a very strange thing for God to do um god to all look down on people and say i'm going to mess things up for them you know the um, god
0: of confusion yeah. right yeah division yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: just i just can't picture uh-huh. that without like laughing you know
0: um, so whenever i think of this story the first thing that comes to mind is this is god cursing the engineers yeah <laughs> And there's something, there's something, there's something to it because uh, engineers do in fact speak a language that nobody understands. Yes, <laughs> mm, uh, and true. they are scattered all throughout the world. Uh, he's not actually cursing the engineers, I don't think, but uh, uh, it is interesting. It's un- it's of the um, sort of difficulties that come out of the fall that we continue to deal with. I mean, our Lord or the, the Bible is identifying the fact that we are divided by language as one of the products of the fall. That's a fascinating thing.
2: Sure. What do you think about that? Um. Well, there's a lot of questions that are kind of on the top of my mind. Um, but, yeah, I think my more immediate concern is, like, I can kind of accept that part of it, you know, that, okay, it's a is talking about the sign of the fall that we're separated by language and stuff, but the way that, I mean, it's it's portrayed as an act, active, you know, like, God did this kind of thing, as opposed to, like, you know, just a result of, you know, man's fall from grace and the, like, result, passive result of sin, you know? Um, but if I can shift the question momentarily i i do wonder like out when it's talked about outside of the actual scripture it's it's always portrayed as um the people were building a tower um to like reach the heavens like to reach Uh to reach god but i'm not sure if it i mean and if that's what the tradition kind of takes it as then then well
0: sure. I'd be curious what a different translation Which which, right. which one is right this
2: that? is the revised standard version uh-huh. I mean, uh, to, like, same thing, same thing. Catholic uh-huh. yeah and um
1: but I think the the sin even comes like um hold on, let me find the verse the, after they the, they they're gonna build a tower with its top in the heavens, but then it says and let us make a name for ourselves, but like I don't know if the physical tower was the actual thing that was upsetting or it was rather their pride um
2: yeah, I just, uh, the reason I ask the question is because it's always portrayed as, like, this is the purpose of what they were doing. Like, they're trying and to get then, up there But and I'm not sure them. if the scripture actually says that. It seems to, I mean, obviously, translation is an issue, but it just seems like they're building a big tower, you know. And, and they use the word heavens, but, you know, it's the same word for sky, so. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, actually, I don't know the Hebrew, so I could be wrong, but, um uh, But yeah, usually it's the same word for sky. So maybe they're just saying into the
0: very high. So uh, (laughs) TJ had suggested that we do this as a podcast. And I said to him, okay, that sounds interesting. Um, What do you want to talk about?
2: Okay, well, uh, I'm most interested in like how do like okay, there's a sin thing, right? Like it's a product of the fall. But how do I – Um, understand, like, like you said, seems like he's the God of confusion, right? Like, so how do I reconcile that with my image of God?
0: Well, okay. So let's say, let's talk about a story that happens a few chapters before this one, Mm -hmm. when God decides to wipe out all living creatures on the face of the earth by (laughs) a flood. Yeah, that one. Uh, Except for Noah and his family, and then two of every living creature on the face of the earth. That went into a big dinghy and (laughs) floated on the water. Um, Uh -uh. So do you have the same problem with that story? That God has now done something um, active that we would typically think of as not great?
2: I think it's a similar problem. Or the problem
0: of Sodom and Gomorrah where Mm -hmm. he destroys the city.
2: So- Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that seems to have more to it. Or the know.
0: problem of the Babylonians sacking Jerusalem, where the people are reduced to starvation, turned to cannibalism, and Jerusalem's destroyed. Uh, and yet God predicted it was going to happen, and it was happening at his desire. What about that? Do you have problems with that one? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot of dark passages in the Old Testament. Right? So is
0: it – do you have a question about dark passages in the Old Testament or is it specifically this one that bothers you? Um, hmm.
2: <laughs> I mean, I would like to just talk about this one um, and maybe it applies to all of them, but I'd I like to focus on this one. Okay. Um, just because it doesn't seem like – like in a lot of the other stories – Maybe not the sacking of of Jerusalem, but in a lot of the other ones, like it's explained in the in the story of Noah's Ark, like that uh, of the flood. Why, you know, that men were so wicked. And so this is what God decides to do. Right. And so
0: that bothers you less than God saw men were so wicked. And so he said, let's. Let's make it so that they can't do anything too bad and divide their language.
2: No, it seems better, better to kill them. Yeah, like, right. I don't. No, it seems like well, he's he can he Maybe I need promised. to take like their the pride more, like kind of read between the lines, and because the pride isn't like mentioned explicitly, at least as I'm reading mm-hmm. it, it seems like God is looking down and seeing man prosper, and then saying, "Well, I ought to." Thwart, well, I think
0: the I line, the this. crucial line in there is. Let us make a name for yeah. ourselves.
2: So this is, Verse this is four. expressing opposition in some way to God. Well, I don't know.
0: It might not be pride. It might just be vanity. Okay. But, right. Uh, yeah. But but nevertheless, we're making a name. It'd be interesting to see what another just, I mean, I know we're on the podcast. Just walk over there and get one of the NABs so we can see what it says in there.
1: There's um, one right behind you. There's a whole stack of them. Oh,
0: ones. Perfect. We're going to get a different translation and see. Wow, that is a well taken care of Bible right there. You know, um, I love when seminarians open to the book of Genesis by starting in the middle of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, TJ, it's at the beginning. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, usually just
2: open in the middle to you know get a feel for where you are, how many pages you have to go in either direction. All right, here it is. Um, you want me to read the whole thing again? Yeah, sure.
0: Um, uh, so, this is the version that we would have in the lectionary. Yeah. Right. Which, actually, do we have that? Is that the Pentecost reading?
1: It was, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah that's the first reading for Pentecost. No. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's no, no, no. no. I... It's from the Acts of the Apostles. It's Is it? Uh, maybe no, I was just thinking second. about it. it came no, it's up... Acts of the Apostles first, and then there's something from Paul second, and then...
2: Uh... Well, this came up recently, either at Daily Mass or Sunday Mass, why I was thinking about it. Or oh, no, no, right.
1: no okay. maybe it didn't. I think it was something I was listening to where they're making the connection of... Well, I
0: definitely think there's a connection with yes. Pentecost and Babel, but
2: we'll get there.
0: <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. That's why I, read I actually it. have a lot to say about this, but I'm
2: getting... <laughs> just grilled. The, wor- <laughs> the whole world spoke the same language using the same words. While men were migrating in the east, they came upon a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us mold bricks and harden them with fire. They used bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky, and so make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we shall be scattered all over the earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men had built. Then the Lord said, If now, while they are one people, all speaking the same language, they have started to do this, Nothing will later stop them from doing whatever they presume to do. Let us then go down, and there confuse their language, so that one will not understand what another says. Thus the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the speech of all the world. It was from that place that he scattered them all over the earth.
0: The part about uh, let us build the mm-hmm. city or else we'll be – is that the same?
1: It says – hold on. This is kind of what made me laugh when TJ was reading it the first time. Let us build a tower with its top in the heavens and make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Oh, yes. Okay. It's, it's
0: just okay. a different so, okay, So let's think about what their goal is then. So we're going to build a city with a big tower so that we're not scattered abroad. It sounds to me like they're trying to build a city with – Proper defenses, maybe, so that they're not attacked and scattered. What do you think? A big
2: tower, so that they're not scattered.
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's it doesn't say just say a big tower. It says let us build a city mm-hmm. with a big tower. Like, what are towers for? Yeah, yeah, defense. They're for defense, mm-hmm. yeah, right? All the cities
2: were wall yeah. cities. Yeah. So, yeah, that seems that makes a lot more sense.
0: So I'm just saying like if we try to read it literally without trying to get into a spiritual Uh sort of explanation first, then it's just like, you know, you can – there's these psalms that talk about God thundering from the heavens and the the wind. You could talk about all these things that God's doing, but the first thing it's describing is a thunderstorm, Uh right? So let's talk about like what is it on the face of it, and then you get into the more spiritual explanation. So it sounds like what they're trying to do is build a fortified city so that they're not attacked by – Wandering groups or whatever, right? Mongolians, Babylonians. Well, well there's this, all these enemies. Well, right? this
1: particular Bible says that they're in uh, Babylon. It, it conflates Babel. With, well, there's
0: that. Well, there's that. That there's a reference to that place on the plain of whatever. I, I don't know where that is, but of
1: China. Uh, if yeah. that's
0: a real place, then yeah. But this
1: says so the Tower of Babel, i.e., Babylon. And so then they make the tower to be like a Babylonian ziggurat, which if you're trying to get a ziggurat to the skies. Got have to start with a pretty wide base. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> so, so they're trying to build this and then, and then God sees that this is not a good thing. Right. Because for whatever reason, you know, and, and maybe, maybe the point is that rather than depending on God, they're depending on themselves. Okay. Right. So rather than turning to God and saying, okay we are going to follow you and serve you as the descendants of Noah. We're the ones that you've saved. Like these are the ones that made it, right? Apparently Mm -hmm. these are the descendants of Noah, right? Right. Right. And God saved Noah. Ought they not to realize that God is going to save them, but no, they decide they're going to build this tower to defend themselves. I mean, from what one might ask, because apparently everybody died in the flood, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but nevertheless, you know, they, uh, uh, they need defense from something. And, um, yeah, I mean, it
2: just, it seems, it does seem strange, though, that, um, like, isn't that a logical, um, or maybe it's not, maybe, like, maybe it's not logical because there's not really anything to be afraid of, but they're afraid anyways.
0: Well, you know, St. Augustine, in his book, uh, De Doctrina Christiana, on Christian teaching, he gives some criteria for how to interpret scripture. Now, there's a lot of modern criteria, too, I don't understand it. These are people who have lost the faith and convinced everybody else that the faith is not real. So I don't know, I don't know anything about modern Scripture interpretation. But uh-huh. St. Augustine says that if we're going to interpret Scripture, we ought to take it on its face. If taking it on its face is not morally abhorrent or it doesn't teach us something negative about God, right? And if it, if it kind of makes sense— if it doesn't, then we have to look for a deeper meaning. I don't believe this story makes sense on its face. Okay. All right. Right? So we have to say, okay, there's there's probably a deeper meaning here. Now, there's another type of thing. Um, have you ever heard of the phrase etiology? Um, not really. How do you I spell know? that? An eti, 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 Right? An etiology is... Uh, a story in the Bible that is told in order to explain a custom or a reality. So, an example of an etiology so, in, in modern scriptural interpretation, right, um, people would say that the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, the fact that Lot's wife turns to a pillar of salt, is an etiological addition to explain why the Dead Sea has salt pillars that form out of it,
1: hmm.
0: right? Because, it well, there's a, a salination pool down at the very southern end of the Dead Sea uh-huh. that certain times of the year, like, literally salt towers will form out of the water because uh, there's so much salt nastiness down there, right? So, and that's actually identified, like, that's Sodom. That's the, Sodom is supposed to be under that part of the Dead Sea. Hmm. So, people say, well, that's that story was told to explain this natural phenomenon, and it's not really meant to be taken literally like that. Now, that's modern interpretation. I'm not saying that's correct, but that's how somebody does it. So, another person will say the story of Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice of Isaac was the entire story is meant to be an explanation of why the Jews don't do human sacrifice, right? While all of the other religions in the area did. But it's because of this story. The story is, this is why we don't do human sacrifice, right? It's not that it's a real story. Abraham didn't really try to kill his son. But, like, this is a story that explains why we don't do this, right? Um, again, I'm not saying that's the interpretation, but that would be an etiology, right? So uh, you could say, in this case, with the Tower of Babel, that it's just a story trying to explain, A, why people are scattered all over the world, mm-hmm. and B, why there's so many other languages, Right. Like, okay, we notice there's a lot of languages in the world. Let me tell you a story that explains this. Yeah. Right? Or, you know, the tall tales are like this too. That's what's what I really what's the story of Johnny Appleseed? Wasn't he going around planting apple trees? Right? So where did the apple trees come from? Well, Johnny Appleseed planted I mean, I don't know the story of Johnny Appleseed, whatever, but... Uh, or, or like, uh, Paul Bunyan. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, is Paul, who who's the one that had the, the blue ox? Paul Bunyan. Is it Paul? Un- yeah. And they then the they fight ox. in the heavens and that's what thunder is made of. Uh-huh. Right. You know, like that kind of stuff.
1: He drug his ax and cut the Mississippi cause he was so huge.
0: Yeah, exactly. That, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yes.
2: So that's, uh, what's so funny about that? Of course he did.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the days of the Titan. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, uh, so at any rate, uh, There is a way of interpreting that story that just says that this is a biblical attempt to explain a natural phenomenon that the people observed and needed to explain. And so attributed it to God when in reality, none of this actually happened. Right.
1: I kind of like that because like. Because of the, the the mentioning of them being scattered before it even happens. Like, they call it out, like, we'll build this tower lest we be scattered. It's like, if you're reading this to someone, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, like hinting, oh, no, hey,
0: <laughs> what's going to happen? <laughs> I hope that they don't get scattered.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Another interesting way to interpret this is in the kind of more Jewish way. So, starting in chapter 12 of Genesis... We say salvation history begins with Abraham, right? So that's when Abraham is introduced to us. Mm -hmm. The Jews consider the first 11 chapters of the Bible to be the story of creation and the fall. The fall is not done until the story of the tower of Babel, right? So it's not just Adam and Eve. When we talk about the fall, we tend to talk about just Adam and Eve, Uh right? But if you follow the progression of events, right? So you have Adam and Eve, and what's attributed to them is pride and uh, envy, right? Pride and envy being attributed to them by the Book of Wisdom as the sins that they committed. Then we have Abel, their right. sons. Yeah. And now, all of a sudden, envy becomes what? Wrath. Murder, yeah. right? Yeah. Wrath, murder. Um, then we have uh, the story of Noah. Yes. And now we have the recognition that human beings have have – fallen to this level uh, and uh, and become more and more and more wicked so we have the destruction of all the human race. And by the way, like Jews never ever believed that the story of Noah was a real story. Nobody ever believed in at least in the Jewish faith, nobody ever believed that God wiped out the face of the earth with a flood. It was always considered to be a story mm-hmm. that taught us a truth, right? Now, I'm not saying there wasn't a flood. There's actually very interesting stuff going on right now <laughs> where they're finding they're finding evidence that the known world at the time did, in fact, experience a huge flood. So maybe, you know, who knows? Uh, but nevertheless, to tell a story. And so what happens as a result of that? Okay, so there is a kind of purification that occurs within the fall. It's almost like God trying to reset. And then they get off this boat. And what happens immediately? Noah falls into intemperance, mm-hmm. right, with his drunkenness. And then his son's, right, or what's his son's name? The one that... Uh, Shem or... No, Shem is a good yeah, oh, the good no. one. Ham. Ham, yeah. Uh, and then Ham basically um, shames his father uh, mm-hmm. in sort of inappropriate sort of... Uh, I don't know exactly what that would fall under, but... Um, and uh, so, you, so you have gluttony that kind of enters into the world and all these other sorts of things. Uh, and then... After that, there's not a whole lot. There's some other little things, little stories that happen. And then uh, and then you have the Tower of Babel, this division that occurs as a result of uh, human beings have learned at this point that they can even work together to accomplish something um, and leave God completely out of it. It's like more and more and more of this descent from recognizing that I walk with God in friendship to I need to hide from God to I don't need God at all. Uh-huh right? That it's like, we don't need him at all. We can do everything all by ourselves. So there's also, I mean, I mean St. Augustine talks about this. Uh, so does Origin of Alexandria, uh, talking about how the redemptive acts of Christ's life and the sin of the Holy Spirit and everything kind of correspond to the different moments of the fall. I mm-hmm. mean, Origin of Alexandria is one of the great kind of uh, expounders of this idea. But um, the Holy Spirit, of course, coming in uh, Pentecost, what happens in that reading? We hear there's all these people that are gathered together. The apostles there, the apostles are preaching in their language, and everyone is hearing in their own language, right? The classic definition of the gifts of gift uh-huh. of tongues is that I speak in my language, and you understand it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, uh, and so all these different people are gathered together from all over the place, speaking different languages. And via the Holy Spirit, now the division that happened in Babel is healed, and we have a, a kind of reunion, not via external language, but because of the language of the Holy Spirit, the universal truth of, of God who speaks to us in our hearts and can be communicated by uh, apostles with charism and gifts and this, that, and the other. Um, so that's kind of like – I mean it would take a long time to go through all the different points of how it all lines up. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh but that's like a big sort of interpretation of the Tower of Babel that it ought not to be read apart from the rest of the first uh eleven chapters of Genesis, right that it's all kind of one big story, sure, um, it has to be understood together mm-hmm. um so I don't know. what do you think about that?
1: yeah, I knew I knew at least the Pentecost connection, but I didn't I guess think of it as the whole story of the fall. I think I heard the Tower of Babel called one time, like the second fall of man, but maybe just cause it was the end of this whole, this whole fall process. Mm-hmm. Nobody can see that, but, um,
2: air quotes. Yeah. yeah. Fall process. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, that's all, that's all very helpful. I'm trying to think like, well, I do, It's easy to, like, dismiss that from, like, a non-Christian perspective, just thinking, like, oh, well, isn't that so nice and convenient that, like, this story solves the other one, you know? But at the same time, like, it is, you have to be fair, and, like, it's rather remarkable, like, the way that it fits together and the time which separates the two, you know? Well, the other
0: thing, too, is, like, we we have to understand, right? We believe in a God that is a trinity of persons, who, from the beginning of time, had intended to unite the second person of the Trinity to flesh, to come into the world, to die for sin, be resurrected, ascend to heaven, and descend, send the Holy Spirit down upon all us morons walking around on the face <laughs> of the earth, right? It's a pretty absurd story, right? The Tower of Babel is not as absurd as that. Yeah. So it's one of those things, like, I, I I can understand how someone who does not believe in God would have trouble with the story of the fall. Like, I get it. Um, it's a less absurd story than believing in what God has done for us. Yes. So, like, I, I get it. I don't think anyone would propose uh, the story of the Tower of Babel as something that we should talk about in order to get someone to believe in God.
2: Okay. But I do want to go back and examine my own like initial reaction to, to reading the story um, and ask like, what about this tendency, which I see within myself to like expect God to only do things that are in conformity with like what I think a nice God would do, you know, like,
0: okay, well that you, you didn't want to talk about that question, right? Cause I listed all these other ones too. And I said, well, do you want to talk sure. about <laughs> God doing difficult things in the old Testament? Or do you want to talk about the tower of Babel? Right you said, I want to talk about the tower. of <laughs> Is that a whole nother podcast though? I think that's probably a whole, at this point, probably a whole mm-hmm. other podcast, but, um, I definitely think it is a major challenge to people, uh, that things happen, especially in the old Testament, although it happens in the new Testament too, that things happen in the old Testament that are so, they seem to be so wrath filled. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, we don't hear about those stories a lot of times. Uh, it is often the case that in our present lectionary mass, uh, the worst and most difficult stories like that have been cut out so that we don't talk about them. I don't find that to be helpful. Uh, but I'm not the person. Nobody asked me my opinion on that. Um, <laughs> but we do that even with Psalms. Like even when we're reading the Psalms, like in the Psalter, in the in the uh, Liturgy of the Hours, we cut out. Even single lines from the Psalms, mm-hmm. if anybody thinks they're going to be offensive to somebody, right? And then we just kind of leave it out. And then you go and you read the Psalm in the actual in the Scripture, and you're like, "Whoa, they uh, they failed to mention that part of it." Yeah, right. Um, or
1: like just even the daily readings. It's like five through six, and then eight through ten. It's like, "Ooh, I wonder, what's yeah, verse I wonder what seven says." Verse seven says, <laughs> "Yeah,"
0: um, and and. That decision has i don 't even know what level that is I mean it's the same all over the world, so that's got to be a, a Vatican thing yeah, but, I guess. um and maybe it's just that a lot of times in daily mass there's no homily, and so uh they don't want people to be confused by some sort of thing or they're or they're really trying to make a certain point in mass and this, that, and that's fine um but I mean these are difficult things people have a hard time understanding it it's the same thing. When it, when it gets down to it, it's the same difficulty that people have understanding why God lets terrible things happen or does terrible things to people or whatever, right? There's a uh, – I don't know if we ever talked about this on a podcast, but I teach this class uh, uh, at Holy Spirit College, Protology and Eschatology, the beginning of the world and the end of the world. And one of the things we end up talking about is the various attempts to define evil over time, right? How people have attempted to define evil. And what we do today in the United States in modern theologies, we tend to settle on the definition of St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, and and that's fine, and we, we could talk about that another time. But uh, we, we tend to settle on his definition. Um, and one of the ways that he explains bad things and good things happening with respect to God and his will, he talks about God's passive and his active will. Things that God will allow to happen, but he's not actually driving and then things that he is driving. Um, so he would we would say that Cain killing Abel was within the realm of God's passive will. He allowed it to happen. Whereas um, uh, Noah building an ark is God's active will. right? right. Mm-hmm. And that's a distinction that he made. And it allows us to understand evil in a very, very neat kind of way. Um, because it allows us to understand evil as a lack of some good that ought to be present and this, that, and the other, and that God never uh, does evil. He never produces evil. He never uh, draws people into, through evil, any of that kind of stuff. Um, that definition has its problems uh, because it turns out we actually can't divide God's will. I mean, we can divide it when we're talking about yeah. it. Like God only has God one, will. one will. He doesn't have an active and a passive will. He's only got one will. Uh, so now and then and then it also requires us to confront scenes in the old testament and take it as it's written without having to do all this mental gymnastics 375 different times to try to to try to justify that god didn't do this actual terrible thing mm-hmm. that in fact he just kind of let it happen or something you know we'd have to we'd have to really do some gymnastics in order to make that happen um
2: yeah i'm i'm curious like and maybe this is outside the scope of the time that we have left, but, like, uh, is it more, do you think it's more psychologically motivated by, like, this desire to have a nice, neat, kind of, like, fluffy, loving God? Or is it a des- desire to, like, be able to quickly understand things without having to, I mean, those are the two things I would identify first. I don't know if one is more than the other or if it's both or it depends on the person or what, you know, like, because there is also, I feel like I know, because I experience this. Like I have a desire to just kind of like easily understand it, you know, like and not have to keep thinking about it and wrestling with it. But like, it seems like, uh, seems like Catholicism, Christianity in general, like is the kind of thing that because it's based in mystery, like it takes lots of time to continue to enter in and like slowly understand. More and more. And it's not the kind of thing where you just like read a passage of scripture and you're like, okay, I got that one.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I definitely think a lot of that comes from our desire to have a soft, fluffy, non-threatening God. Yeah. I also think some of it could just be misinterpretation, right? The thing is God sees things eternally. And so he sees the big picture Uh, and I mean, not even in a way that even the term big picture doesn't make sense, right? Right. (laughs) He he sees everything in a very different way than we do. And sometimes, um, you know, the example I use, uh, I I tell this story about once every two or three years, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but, um, my story, which you guys have both heard of, uh, being in the Holy land and watching the shepherd, uh, in Bethlehem, right? So Mm -hmm. the shepherds down in Bethlehem and I know other people who've actually, who've, 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 uh, uh, told this story too. like I remember hearing in the seminary uh, a priest telling a very similar story to this and uh, and I'm like I- I've seen the exact same thing like this is crazy like and then it turns out I know a lot of priests have seen it it's, it's not it's not even uncommon right so um, the shepherd that's down at the base of the mountain and you're kind of watching him and he's got his sheep and a little lamb runs off and I'm expecting him to go and kind of do – I tell this whole story that's pretty funny (laughs) when I'm doing it in homily. But, you know, you're expecting him to go after the lamb, right? That's what you want him to do. You want him to go after the lamb. And the shepherd picks up a rock and starts throwing the rock at the lamb. You're like, what kind of shepherd are you, right? You're throwing (laughs) rocks at your lamb. And at some point, like, the lamb gets hit, uh, all this other kind of thing, and the lamb's running all over the place. And eventually the lamb runs back. Shepherd gets a lamb, kicks the lamb. The lamb runs into the end of the cave. And so when I'm telling the story, I give this whole homily in this, that, and there. Then I, at the end of the homily, I finished with, uh, but, you know, the, the most interesting thing happened, and that is the, the shepherd kept throwing rocks. The lamb had gotten in the cave, and he's still throwing rocks. And then in the corner of my vision, I saw, just for a second, this little flash of an animal, some sort of bear or wolf or something. And it turns out the whole time, the shepherd was throwing rocks at the wolf, but the lamb was right next to the wolf, so the lamb got hit. You know, Mm -hmm. but from the lamb's perspective, the shepherd was throwing rocks at me, right? And now, here's the really tough part. Imagine, I mean, I actually heard another priest tell a very similar story. It didn't happen in in Bethlehem, but apparently, rock throwing is a pretty standard shepherd move. (laughs) Uh, Nice. I heard and David another does priest, it. yeah exactly you know um I heard another priest tell a similar story and that's why they carry the sling right uh-huh. they they would throw they the throw the rocks rings. at the at the wolf um I heard another priest tell a similar story but the uh the rock hit the lamb and then the wolf got the lamb right and it's like he's telling this was a he was obviously not he was trying to make a different point um but it's like <laughs> the thing is sometimes the lamb might make such bad decisions that there's no possible way for them to make it out of it. Right. You know, so it's, it's like our understanding of evil um, is limited by the time that we're in and trying to understand how God sees the bigger picture, um, the trying picture. to save the lamb while respecting the lamb's freedom. Right. Mm-hmm. But trying to save the lamb while at the same time, trying to protect all the other sheep, you know, if the lamb doesn't respond the way that he ought to, it's possible that the lamb's going to die. Right.
2: And it's not because of God's limitation. Like exactly. in the story, uh-huh. the shepherd is clearly limited, but Right, it's not right. because right. Of But God's
0: story. limitation, God is limited only by my freedom. Right. Yeah. Right. But the thing is, if He's I still... keep resisting, you know, at some point, something bad might very well happen. Now that still doesn't answer the question of, well, God is the one who's the agent behind the wolf, right? Um, and that, that's another question. And we should probably do a podcast on it. I mean, that'd be yeah. fantastic to talk sure. about. Um, I've done a lot of research on this. It's fascinating. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing how many fathers of the church and saints were totally okay with saying God causes these bad things. Um, mm-hmm. and, and scholastic theology started trying to make nuances there, which are very useful. I mean, I love Thomas Aquinas. And I think that the nuances most of the time are super helpful to people right a lot of time that answers their questions but when you start talking about these stories in the old testament right it's hard to not see god as the agent behind these things right i mean he's the agent behind the flood there's no indication whatsoever that god allowed satan to flood the earth and kill all <laughs> these people no i mean god flooded the earth and killed all these people i mean he's the author of life he's the author of death he takes us he makes us when he wants to and he takes us when he wants to Right. I mean, it's kind of the way it works. And so you, but then you start asking the question, well, would God do something evil? I mean, killing someone is evil. For you to kill someone is evil. For God to do it is not. And then you could ask the question, is death even evil? I mean, Thomas Aquinas would say it is because it's a lack of some good that uh-huh. should be present. Right. But at the same time, would we say that Christ's death was evil? I don't know that we would. Christ did something evil? Would we say that? We wouldn't say that. No. Right? This is bonus material. So Father, then you move Father Father into the question. Josh's
2: academic work. This is good.
0: Well, so you move into the question of if Jesus Christ went through it, maybe the nature of the thing was changed. And so maybe a lot of things that we consider to be real evils aren't evils because we're, we're imitating Christ. So you ask the question, is suffering an evil well, Christ suffered, right, and He encourages us to suffer well. It's like He's encouraging us to to do evil well. Yeah, huh. right. You know, it's like it's 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 interesting stuff to think about, it, and it's complicated the answer a little bit. But um, I definitely think that it's overly dismissive to just say, uh, "No, we just got to find an interpretation of these difficult passages in the Old Testament that." makes God out to be the fluffy good guy, mm-hmm. and we can find a different way to understand them. Um, I think we got to, again, it's like Augustine says, if we can find an explanation that doesn't require us to come up with something crazy, that's probably the explanation. Like, what's the plain meaning?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know? Um. But at any rate, do you want to say anything else about Babel? 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 Babel?
1: I think the tower, <laughs> the tower of Babel is like the least... <laughs> The least problematic of these passages, too. It's not like he does anything that bad. Yeah. He just scatters some people.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know?
2: Scatter. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I would. I, only other comments I would make would it be engaging all the stuff you just said, but we don't have time. So, <laughs> yeah, it's podcast sure, the, for another time. Yeah, but. the next time we do a podcast, yeah. we'll, we'll do that
0: soon. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, if you have any questions or comments, or uh, if you have an opinion on how to pronounce Babel, Babel. Babble. 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 Bubble. If you have an opinion on that, uh, you can email us at uh, podcast at gtcatholic.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless. (laughs) (laughs)